0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Having a great security culture in a company is your best asset. It really is. People always say, like, humans are the weakest link. No, they're the weakest link until you train them, and then they are your strongest link.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Later in the show, we've got the second part of Carol Terrio's interview with the hacker who goes by the name Freaky Clown. And we are back, Joe. I'm going to kick things off this week. I've got a story. This comes to us from WXYZ out of Detroit. It's mm-hmm. ABC affiliate. And uh, the story is Michigan Energy Company warns of increase in imposters trying to enter homes. Hmm. So what's happening here is folks who are pretending to be representatives of the local energy company, they're knocking on people's doors And they're saying, uh, I have to come in your house, it's an emergency, and if you don't let me in your house, I'm going to shut off your power, or your gas, or your utilities, I'm going to shut them all off. Hmm. So the urgency that they're injecting there is if you don't do what I say and let me in your house you're not going to have any power. Right. And this time of year in Michigan, it's it's cold. It's cold. (laughs) Right. So the specter of having your power shut off in the wintertime, and probably when you you did nothing, they're saying this is an emergency, plus the pressure of saying there's an emergency. If you don't let me in, your house is probably either going to blow up or burn down. Right. And I'm sure they have some sort of fake ID badge or something like that, Uh, probably wearing an orange vest or a hard hat or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm
2: everything to make them look official.
0: There you go. I mean, it's a good reminder to be wary of these folks. The folks from the actual power company said their folks will always have an ID badge. Of course, as we said, that's not hard to reproduce. Right. They said there are times when they have to shut down electricity, but they will never... Threaten to shut off your service if you don't comply with their immediate demands.
2: Right. I imagine that if there is an emergency, they don't go to your house and say, I'm going to shut off your power if you don't let me in your house. They just shut off your power.
0: That's a good point. I would also think that if there were an emergency, they would probably have someone from law enforcement with them. Correct, don't you think? I would think so. I would but think again, so you could
2: too. Have somebody impersonating a law enforcement officer.
0: Well, that's a little. I think that's a little more high risk than it is than uh, going door to door, sure, know, in a in a vest and uh, so hard hat.
2: What do these guys do once they get inside? Well, they steal things.
0: So they get in the house and they say, "Oh, I got to look around," and they go and they look for jewelry. They look for basically anything they can get their hands on. Hmm. Some people think they might even be just casing the joint to see if it's a place to come back to later. Right but they're up to no good. This reminds me of um, back probably a decade ago. Did you ever get the folks coming around to your office and they'd say, I want to lower your long distance call charges. Can I look at your phone bill? We get huh. this all the time. Did you? Yeah. And they'd say like, I'm going to use Bell Atlantic because they don't exist anymore. Right. they come around and they'd say, hi, I'm from Bell Atlantic. Uh, and they had a lanyard that said Bell Atlantic and a little ID thing. And they'd say, we'd like to lower your long distance phone service charges. Can I look at your phone bill? And of course I'd look at them and go, no, right. <laughs> if you lost your mind, I'm. You're, I don't know, know you. You're a stranger. I'm not right. letting you look at my phone bill. Well, what do they do when they got the phone bill? They, I don't have no idea. Oh, I mean, I because I never let them look at it. Right. Okay. But I, I sent them away, and they seem very surprised. What do you mean? You Don't you want lower bill? No, go away. Don't bother me. Right. Leave me
2: alone. I already did my research. Be gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get off my lawn.
0: Anyway, so <laughs> uh, be, be careful of these folks coming around trying to get in your house. And as, as always, I think the people who are probably
2: most likely to fall for this are either the elderly or children. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I envision this, the risk in my house being that I'm not home. And my kids are there. I mean, they're older now, but, you know, when they were teenagers, they might have just let somebody in. That's right. You know? That's right.
0: Yeah. So get the word out there. Remind your kids, remind your elderly folks or friends or neighbors that these sort of things happen. And there's nothing wrong with calling the police, calling 911 if you're suspicious. Even if there's an emergency, call. Right. (laughs) They they, they will never be mad at you for checking it out and, and making sure. So that's my story this week. Joe, what do you have this week?
2: All right, Dave. My story comes from Tara Lapore over at iNews. Okay. We're going to have to put a link to this one in the show notes because yeah. this one is long and convoluted. And okay. it's about a woman named Sarah Hudson in the UK. Mm-hmm. She had recently refinanced a property through National Westminster Bank or NatWest as they call it. Okay. Over there in the UK. And she had a large amount of money just sitting in a savings account. Mm-hmm. And she was going to use it for some repairs on this property. Okay. I don't know if this was a, a rental property or whatever, but she had the money in her account. Right. She gets a phone call while she's driving home and it comes up as the NatWest number that she has saved on her phone. Mm. And okay. the woman on the line says that she's from the NatWest Fraud Department mm-hmm. and needed to check about two direct debits that were made with a Manchester address that had been set up from Sarah's account. Okay. And Sarah says, no, those aren't mine. And the caller goes, well, I'll cancel them. Okay. So Sarah's about to say, hey, thanks, goodbye. And the caller says, there's some other activity I need to run through with you. Okay. And the caller asks Sarah to log into the banking site. And Sarah says, I'm, I'm driving. I can't do that. Okay. So then the caller says, well, can you give me the last four digits of your online banking password? And Sarah's like, no, I, I can't do that for you. Good, right? good, good, good. All good so far, right? <laughs> right. So then- the caller tells Sarah, uh, we really need to sort this out because we believe fraudsters are active on your account right now mm. and your accounts have been suspended, mm. right? So the, the heat is on. The heat is on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sarah gets home and she gets another call from the same woman who mm. again asks if she'll log into her accounts. Right. Sarah logs in and when she logs in, she sees that every single one of her accounts is indeed suspended. Oh. Okay. And it looked like she had no money whatsoever. Wow. The caller then says, I know how we can resolve this, but if you don't move money into a safe account, NatWest can't guarantee you'll get the money back. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this for everyone who's listening right now, even though you've probably already picked up on this. This caller is a fraudster. Yeah. Uh, It's a fraudulent call. So then she receives Sarah receives a text message from NatWest saying that someone's changed the phone number on her account. Mm-mm. And the caller says, have you changed the phone number in your account? And she goes, no, but I just got a text message that said I did. Uh-huh. Right? So this is starting to look like something's really going on on her account. Right. So the caller says, I'm going to pass you off to somebody else. And this time it's a man. And this person reads through a bunch of transactions to confirm this is Sarah's account. And this is where Sarah actually does something very smart. She goes, how can I confirm that I'm talking to someone from NatWest? And the guy actually says, I called you on a NatWest number. hmm Right. That should have come up in your caller ID. Right, which it did. Which it did. And I'm going through your account telling you transactions. Surely that should convince you that I am from West. Hmm. Right? Sarah is then transferred to a third person who's an older gentleman. Hmm. And he says that he is the one responsible for suspending the accounts and that he was going to replicate all of Sarah's accounts. Okay. But Sarah needs to transfer all of the money to a safety account. Hmm. Something that had already been mentioned by the two previous people she'd spoken to. All right. Right. He then says, go get your card reader. Now, here in the US, we're not really familiar with what this is. No. What is this? Right. This is a piece of hardware. In the UK and most of Europe, they have a chip and pin system. Right. And this is a piece of hardware that's not connected to anything, but you, you plug your card into it, and it gives you a time-based password or a time-based key. It runs through the chip on your card, and based on a secret in your card, it generates a a code. So a a little extra bit of security. Extra bit of security. Got it. Exactly. Okay. So she gets the card reader, and he gives her the account number and something called a short code, which I'm guessing this is kind of like a a routing number and an account number here in the U.S., of where the money's supposed to go. And she notices this is to a Barclays account. Mm, Different bank. A different bank. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So- she says, this is another red flag. And the guy goes, oh, well, Nat West and Barclays have a partnership for fraudulent activity of this of this sort. <laughs> and she transfers 19,960 pounds. Okay. That's a lot of money. Yeah. It's like 40 grand, close to 40 grand here in the US. Mm. And the guy says he'll call her back and provide an update about what's happening with the fraud. Okay. So as soon as this phone call ends, Sarah starts to think, I've done something wrong here. She immediately calls Nat West's fraud department and within 15 minutes is talking to somebody who... Verifies that yes, you've been scammed. Mm. She gives them the Barclays account number and the people from NatWest say we're going to try to stop this fraudulent account number. Hmm. So she says that the account that was set up at Barclays was set up in Sarah's name. Hmm. Okay, so it looks like Sarah is Sending money from Sarah's account to another one of her accounts at a different institution. Hmm. So this doesn't set off any red flags at at any of the institutions, right? Because somebody has opened a fraudulent account for her at Barclays
0: But she's the one who ultimately authorized the transfer she
2: authorized the transfer using this card reader device mm-hmm. right mm. the scammers knew everything is they knew her mother's maiden name they knew she went to NatWest they knew that she had recently refinanced and they asked her about it during the course. You read the article. It's very long and convoluted. Yeah. At the time of the writing, they're still waiting to see if Barclays could, could stop the fraudulent transaction from going through. Mm. I'm hopeful that because she was talking with somebody within 15 minutes that she can get her money back. But we just don't know if that's going to happen. But there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here. First off, it hit right after she'd done a refinance. So I'm going to speculate and not too wildly here. That the scammers got this information or got a lot of this information about her and about the fact that she just done the refi from some third party organization that was involved in the process. Mm. Here in the U.S., we have people like mortgage brokers who help people do this. Right, Uh, I've used them in the past. We also have settlement attorneys here in the U.S. When you refinance your house, it's just like selling your house. Again, you have to go to settlement on it. Again, and is
0: that a public record? It's a
2: public record, ah. but this is yeah, and this is something that's happened. But within, she's getting this phone call relatively quickly, right? So I don't know how long it takes in the UK to put these things in the public record. Here in the US, it takes like two months, but she's getting this like within two weeks of of having the refinance. So happen. they
0: could have an inside person at the refi place. They could have that. They that could, would also be a great way to get a lot of this personal information. That's correct, including bank account number yeah, information. They
2: could have a uh, the mortgage the mortgage mm-hmm. broker could have an inside person, or they could just be compromised yeah. and have somebody in their system that they don't know about. Right, right, right. They spoof the bank's number. Yeah. That's another another big point. You can never trust caller ID. It's just, you just can't do it anymore. Right. The, the only thing that a telephone number provides you is that, okay, I don't know this person. Mm-hmm. It never confirms that you do know this person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's unfortunately the way it but is. But I can see the reinforcement here because especially like on your mobile device, when
0: you have someone's name in there- and it's not just the, a familiar phone number that pops up. but right, Their the, name pops up. The name pops up. So if it says your bank and right. the bank's name's there, uh, to me, that's an even stronger confirmation, at least on the fly, Absolutely. that this is probably legit. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be,
2: as you say. It, you're right. It's yeah. not. Her accounts were suspended. They actually were suspended. Right. So, this is probably from the scammers trying to get into her account. When they try to transfer money out fraudulently and they mm-hmm. can't get it to happen, they go to this plan, or maybe this was their plan where they go and they mess up her account and get them to lock it up. Yeah. I, I don't know how this I'm not right. sure how this works. Yeah. But the details are a little fuzzy on that yeah. part. Yeah. But because she used the card reader and she authorized the transaction, if they can't get it stopped, Nat West may not be on the hook for anything because she because actually. She, she used sent a card the reader yeah. and sent the money. Hmm. So, you know, there was tons of security that Nat West put in place here that was just circumvented by some really, really persistent and good. Social engineering here. Yeah, now, a Good by quality of social engineering, not good as in you're a good person. Oh, right, no, these right, people are right. horrible monsters of right, people. Right, right. It
0: strikes me the amount of manpower they threw at this job. She talked to three different people. Three different people. Now, this could you know, easily be a bunch of people at a phone bank who just pass
2: off one to another. Yep. Uh, and it likely is. We've talked about this in previous episodes, how these organizations are set up like businesses. Mm-hmm. So they view this as a business and they're they're moving money around and these are essentially three salespeople that she spoke to and imagine i mean if they get one of these a week if they are successful with one of these
0: a week right at 40 grand a pop yep there that's a that's a living yeah yeah they're making mm. making millions all right well we'll have a link to this one in the show notes I would there's I'd a encourage lot of, everyone to
2: read it it's, a lot of there's details a lot more here. that i can't go into mm-hmm, on this on this mm-hmm. show
0: it's a good one yep all right joe well it's time to move on to our catch of the day Our catch of the day comes to us from a listener named Lily, and Lily says, Big fan, I never thought that I will send any fish to the podcast, but this one I found interesting because it came from one of our vendors. The fish uses actual architect information, and Lily is from a architectural firm, mm-hmm. and it's a company who's provided services to their firm before. Lily says, my boss called me to verify the legitimacy of the email, and I'm glad he did. Very good. All right. So I will read the first part here. It okay. starts off like this. How are you doing? Please may I ask for an urgent favor from you. Let me know if you can help. And then the, uh, the manager of the architectural firm says, hi, Eric. I'm OK. Thank you. How can I help you? Glad you replied back at this moment, and I am so sorry to intrude into your privacy. I need to make some transfer to my friend in Spain who needs to undergo knee surgery. I am out of cash at this moment. I want you to help me transfer the sum of $650, that's sum, some, S-O-M-E, via Western Union. I will refund it back to you next week, Friday. That is one long run-on sentence. Let me know how much you can spare me. I will refund your money back to you. Regards, Eric. And then it has the name of a design firm. It sounds to me like they got into
3: uh, this person's account. Right.
0: Right. They they were able to take over this person's account, email from his account to a client. Yep. So the boss at this architect firm recognized the name. This is someone they do business with regularly. Yeah. You can tell by
2: by the response.
0: Yeah. Some sort of business relationship and is trying to uh, scam them out of money. So the boss did the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what we say. Ask somebody. Just pause. Ask somebody else. Does Eric
2: really know somebody in Spain that needs knee surgery? Probably Hmm. not. Probably not.
0: No, it's a little fishy, (laughs) but uh, thanks to Lily for sending it in to us. That is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got the second part of Carol Terrio's interview with the hacker who goes by the name Freaky Clown. And we are back, Joe. We've got part two of Carol Terrio's interview with the hacker who goes by the name Freaky Clown. We're going to dive into some more of his exploits. Here's Carol Terrio's story.
3: Well, I'm sure most of us remember part one interview with Freaky Clown. This is part two. In the first part, he explained what he did for companies and how he tested the physical defenses we get a bit more in depth here on the wacky methods he might employ in order to break in legally to a company. Now, if you haven't already heard part one, Interview with Freaky Clown, please go and find it. It's available on the Hacking Humans webpage. If you have already heard it, buckle in. This is a good one. Okay, so now you've got your letter. You've never needed to do that, but it's in your back pocket, your get-of-jail-free card. And then what you're heading to, do you go directly to your, your source or to your goal, or do you sometimes have to figure out a, a roundabout route? So
1: generally with these assessments, we always sit down with a client and say, okay, right, what is it you want to get out of this, right? It, this type of assessment is no good if you want to test your whole security. You just want to like test one particular thing. So right. Is it a particular file that I need to get from a cabinet somewhere? Is it a gold bar I need to get out? Is it access to a certain area or room?
3: Let's say it was the server room. Say that was our goal.
1: Okay, right. So you have to work out where that server room is. There's loads of clues on the outsides of the building. So you can look at where telephone cables come into the building. That's probably going to be very close to it. Look for air conditioning units. They're going to be of course. everywhere, especially for a high-power server room. Um, so you can kind of work out roughly where in the building even from the outside where it is. So that's part of the reconnaissance. And then once you get the map of the building, you can kind of start to work out where it is, what floor it is, et cetera. They generally don't put server rooms on high floors because they're full of heavy equipment. Yeah. So it's going to be low down, maybe in a basement. So finding your way to where the server room is, is your key goal. So there's always like your primary goal is get to a thing such as the server. room. Then you'll have secondary goals. Can you get to these particular rooms as well? Can you get access into these areas? Try and do the primary one as quickly as possible. You then go for the secondary ones. And then what I try and do is get caught. right? And there's a really good reason for this. People always like, look at me as like, what? You're trying to get caught? No, I'm trying to check where the boundary is between people understanding what security is me doing enough that they find that okay odd. i'll give you an example of, of one building right so i broke into this building super easy to get in so i went in the next day dressed slightly differently got in through a different way so this harks back to the dressing the part so they had a very particular dress code so i adhered to that the first day second day slightly sloppier third day really sloppy fourth day i went in naked <laughs> <laughs> I'm Oh, my God. That would be terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, t- I, I turned up, like, you know, in ripped jeans and, like, a baggy T-shirt and just looked a real slob, you know, my normal self. Um, <laughs> and they still hadn't twigged that I was not supposed uh-huh. to be there. So when you start doing things like standing on tables or moving things around or I once got one government department to build teepees um, I got them all together and I was like let's build teepees as a team building exercise." they had no idea who I was but we still ended up building teepees together which was great fun you'd go in with like rather than like sneaky little cameras trying to capture everything go in with the biggest camera you can and start taking photos because then you almost look official I guess Yeah, exactly. I had one particular one where, um, which I often talk about in uh, one of my talks is uh, I went in and I hadn't brought my camera. So I actually broke out of the building. So I went via reception and I was like, Hey, I've just forgotten my pass upstairs. I'm going to come back in a minute. Can you let me back in? And the woman was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, Because she assumed that I had, I was officially in there because I was coming out. So I went to the car, got, got my massive camera, came back in. She let me through without a pass because she remembered me and I went up onto this floor and I stood on a chair and I started just taking photos of everyone on this floor. And then suddenly this, this, this woman appears out of nowhere. She's like, excuse me, excuse me. And I was like, yeah, can I help? Thinking, oh my God, I've actually been busted. This is great. And she's like, um, are we going to be in a magazine or something? And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yes. I'm a,
3: I'm a photographer for Vogue.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. There's some great photos from that. Um, <laughs>
3: So, so then you're, you're kind of testing the boundaries at this stage. Yeah,
1: and you can get away with all sorts of really ludicrous things. I, I once built a bar in a, another government department, actually. We got together some sort of bottles of drink that shouldn't have been in the building and sort of put them together and it was all dressed up. It was really nice. So you can, re- you can genuinely just confuse people enough to, to think that they, they should be helping you.
3: But what's interesting about all this, it, it does have subterfuge in it. You're setting up a bar, for instance, just to give everyone that mental calmness of, oh, he's here for a reason. He's obviously, we're having a drinks reception. He's setting up the bar, no problem. And then if they see you around somewhere, they're going, oh yeah, that was the guy setting up the bar.
1: The instance where we built teepees together. So that was a, a, uh, a finance department of a government site. So really quite secure building and i would got in managed to get into this area and we'd start building tps um i've got a really great photo of it um we're building tps with with their coats and you know i i get what i need from that department and and i move on and then later on i'm showing the client round like sort of i got in here got in here and i said oh i got into the finance area and he's like really that's That's hard to get into. I was like, well, no, I just walked in. And so we get in there and they all see me and they're like, hey, FC. And we're like high-fiving and we're like talking about the TPs. And then their manager appears and they're like, they have a go at my client because he's not meant to be in that area. And yet they... They're totally oh. fine with me being there,
3: and he's like, "How does this even happen?" Because you somehow bonded with them; you've yeah. become part of the inner circle,
1: exactly. And so he wasn't supposed to be there, and they knew that, but they just accepted me. It was it was odd, but people are strange.
3: But what we're seeing here is your job is basically to dupe people, and. Do you have any, I don't know, advice to help companies, just little things they could do to sniff out potential bad actors? Yeah. Um, that were really trying to steal something yeah,
1: from them. Yeah, it, it's really important to have a really good security culture. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that my partner – Dr. Jessica Barker focuses on. Um, so she's the socio-technical lead. She, she's the one that does all the human side of this. And having a great security culture in a company is your best asset. It really is. People always say like humans are the weakest link. No, they're the weakest link until you train them and then they are your strongest link. Because if someone is, is well-trained in understanding the threats that bad actors can have on the company they're the ones that are always going to stop it if you if you see some of the the massive cyber attacks that we've seen recently like you know sort of a billion pounds tried to be stolen from uh, the swift network that was stopped by one analyst wow yeah and we're seeing things like that all the time even some of our clients we've had massive spear phishing attacks like you know ceo fraud that was stopped because one person was like That's odd. That doesn't sound like the way that Jeff would write an email. If they understand it, if they know what can be done and how it would be done, then they're in a much better position to stop it before any technology can even get in. And this harks back to what I was saying right at the beginning is, if you've got a weak area in the physical or the human or the the cyber area, then you don't have a great security culture. Whereas the people can be a really, really strong link and can sort of overpower all the rest of it. Because if, if I get into a building... And if any person that I ever interacted with had just said, excuse me, what are you doing here? Can I help you?
3: I'd have been screwed. Oh, no, you would have pulled out your letter, <laughs> <laughs> tap danced your way around. Well,
1: yeah, but if I was a bad actor, not, not a bad actor in that way, yeah, I still want to get an Oscar one. <laughs> if I was a criminal breaking in and someone had just asked who I was and what I was doing there and they didn't have the experience that I have to talk their way out of it, then they're going to get rumbled really quickly.
3: I was physically robbed once and, you know, and I'm fairly safe in my house, right? So, I lock my windows, I, you know, close the blinds, I don't leave valuables around, all that kind of stuff. But what I'd done is I'd left the key in the back door locked, but I left it there. And the Mm -hmm. reason I left it there was because I always thought, well, I need an escape route if there's fire, Mm -hmm. right? I Mm need a quick escape route. But somehow also that meant making it much more alluring to a criminal because they just put a brick in, turn the door and walk through. You can't prep well against something you don't know. Like I'd never thought about that, right? It never occurred to me. And that's why having third parties try out your system seems to make sense for me because suddenly you're forced to look at it from a different perspective.
1: Yeah. And, and this is the thing, like other companies are, are trying to do what they're great at, Right. If if you're a software company, you're building software. If you're a a manufacturing company, you're manufacturing stuff. If you're whatever your role is as as a company, you're doing that. You can't be expected to understand all of the the security threats. So that's where a security company comes in and goes, Okay, look, we understand how criminals are working because we see this day to day. We understand how the criminal organizations are working, we understand how nation state attackers are working. So what is your threat level Let's try and sort to of build up on that so that you get a better security posture and um, because it, it's just like being at home like you can put in all of the security issue like sort of things that you want you can go when you leave your house you lock the door and you think great i'm secure yeah you put the alarm on and yeah but a criminal will just come along and put a brick through your window because you have you have to have windows so what do you do, do you do you brick up all your windows? That's crazy. So you just have to be better than everyone else on the street.
3: Exactly. Be the least attractive to Rob.
1: Exactly. That's what we need to do with companies is if you've got all of the stuff open on your internet access, then that's going to be attractive. If you if it's all locked down, then it's kind of like, well, okay, I'll just move on to the next one because there's hundreds of millions of other sites. If your office is built of glass and you can see through, then then that's going to be attractive because they can see what's going on. So Always be the least attractive. That That's what I've always told myself anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> do you think we're going to see a return to castles and moats with, you know, with crocodiles?
1: <laughs> well, you, you could do, but then, you know, I I, I did a, a, a job at a, a prison once um, where we, they wanted to assess some security there and it was great. You know, it's it all really good. It's good for like people trying to get in and out through a fence, but they hadn't thought about drones okay they hadn't thought about this thing and so it was like okay well, this is great so they looked at all this drone technology and I was like okay it's it's really good that you've done this but criminals aren't going to use drones that the method that we see like, that this, so this is a, an actual thing that I've seen in use at a prison to get contraband in and out is you get a fishing rod <laughs> and you put stuff on the end of the fishing line and you cast it right. and then you cut the line that's it wow and and there's there's no loud drone going on no one's using drones to get stuff in and out of prisons because it's too noisy it's too obvious a fishing line <laughs> is really super silent you can be carrying a fishing rod anywhere it's not illegal to carry one of those you don't need a license for one yeah it's really simple to get stuff in
3: and out so so what you're telling people so what companies out there and industries and organizations need to think about is think about all the ways that someone could physically get into your building and what they could compromise within that because there's loads of mini scams and all the stories you've shared with us. We see all these places where humans are duped because they are distracted or they're busy or they're making assumptions and leaps of assumptions rather than just stopping and going, this is a bit odd. What is going yeah,
1: on? I mean, and I'm, I'm not even saying to companies, think about that yourselves. I'm saying get an expert in that knows this understands it you don't try and do like heart surgery on yourself you get a, an expert heart surgeon to come and do that you know so so get an expert in the field that understands all of these attacks and then have a conversation with them and say look here's what we think is the great target for criminals and what do you think and often a lot of companies don't actually know what their valuable data is they'll often think it's one thing. But when we come in and we talk to them, they'll be like, oh, that's why criminals would want us because we've got this really important stuff over here that we just kind
3: of use day to day. And we see that quite a lot. This has really been so insightful. I think seeing it from the other perspective makes you realize how vulnerable we can be. Thank you for sharing your insight, FC. No problem. Thank you for having me. What did I tell you? Pretty interesting, right? I really enjoyed speaking with FC and learning about all these techniques. It was truly mind-opening for me, and I hope it was for you, too. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All
2: right, Joe, a lot of fun there. Yeah, that's that's great. First off, I want to say that always be the least attractive is finally a motto that I can get behind, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, Joe. They say that extraordinarily good-looking people are conceited. Well, I'm not. What did we take away from uh, from this?
2: A couple, this week? couple of things. Number one, there are some things you'll just never be able to hide, and I think that's a great point. Like it's going to be pretty obvious where your server room is based on the input of the phone cables and the network cables and the internet connection, mm. but more so really about the HVAC, the heat exchangers for the for the cooling system inside there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty obvious where, where they are. And he's right. They're going to be generally on the bottom floor because it's easier to install them there, generally cooler down there. Mm-hmm. I love what he talks about when he says he's trying to get caught. And I found it interesting that even as he continues to go on, He finds it more and more difficult to get caught to the point where he's degraded his outfit to something that's absolutely unacceptable in the corporate culture, (laughs) but he's still getting inside. I don't know how valid of a test that is, right? Because you've already built a rapport with these people that you're testing. Well,
0: but also the point that someone who's doing what he's doing, he knows how to carry himself to seem like he owns the place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, he, he and does, that goes a long way.
2: He bonds with people. I love the, the part of the story where he's gotten the people to build TPS, which is ridiculous, right? <laughs> An absolutely ridiculous thing he's gotten right, people to do. Right. right. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But then he gets these people to challenge somebody who's not supposed to be there, who they know, but they don't challenge him on the fact that he's in this area. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, it that, is. That again goes back to he's building the rapport. And he's, he's built this rapport so well that this is the kind of thing he could do. This is something I could absolutely never do. Mm. My wife could do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it.
0: Yeah. Some people just have a knack for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks to Carol Terrio for uh, bringing this interview to us. And thanks to uh, FC for taking the time for us. A really interesting pair of interviews. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.